right, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. I'm Sydney DeLorean, and I'm here with a fan favorite, returning guest host, Rob Love. How's it going, Rob? Pretty good. Hashtag fan favorite. I'd just like to thank all the fans for their outpouring of love over the last episode I guested on. Continue to use that hashtag fan favorite on all social media. Go ahead and graffiti it on your neighbor's fence. Whatever it whatever it takes. Hashtag fan favorite. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I mean, it's just an honor to have you not in the studio, but calling into the studio. Um and you brought another amazing topic uh to the table. This is like I, I just feel like you know you're just this wise man from the Pacific Northwest. You know things. <laughs> Well, this is, there's a, like a, this might be the second part in a two-part series of crazy female cult leaders from the Northwest. Yes. I did notice that that was a continuing theme. Yeah. But it's a definitely, this is a keeper. This is a good story. I'm sure most of the listeners aren't familiar with it because it's so obscure. Um, I, you're in for a treat, listener. Yes. <laughs> listeners plural there are many uh well but i like this um like when i'm listening to a podcast i like them to just speak to me not to other people that are listening that i don't oh see. then it feels more personal it's more personal okay well dear listener i'm, get, I'm getting inside their head that that's what makes me the fan favorite hashtag fan favorite hashtag fan favorite okay so this episode is about Starvation Heights. Is that correct? Starvation Heights. It was formerly called Whispering Heights. Uh, it's located in Olala, Washington, which is not too far from here. I've ridden my bicycle there. It's about a eh, 25, 30-mile ride or so. Um, so uh, I, I looked up Olala, Washington, because I'm not familiar with your homeland, and it says yeah. that it's across Puget Sound from Seattle. Um, so when yeah, you... well, when this when this was all happening, this story takes place in around like 1911, mm-hmm. and um, it, this is across a major waterway called the Puget Sound. But the fastest method of travel in that time was ferry, you know, just boats. Okay. Um, and there's still the we still have Washington State ferries are part of our. Like our department, our state department of transportation, we have actual like ferries as highways. Oh, They're treated the same way. Yeah, so it's still it's still a part, although not as big of a part of um, travel in and around the Puget Sound these days. But back then, it was everything because I mean, this is like before automobiles. They didn't have the road system. If you were to drive from Seattle, like even today. If you were to drive from Seattle to Olala without using the bridge that was built, you know, past 1911, if you were to take like the the way she would have had to go there, mm-hmm. it would be a it would be like a three hour drive or something. It'd be ridiculous because you have to kind of go down so, and around. You have to go down and around, yeah. But if you take a boat, it's probably like a half hour boat ride or something like that. It's totally doable. Okay, so, so it's it's kind of so, isolated, and it was settled by 
like Scandinavian Norwegian immigrants and it became like a logging epicenter because it has good seawater access and trees. Um, and then, yeah, for sure. I think fishing canning at that time was pretty big. I know around the other areas of the Puget Sound, I'm sure there was pretty similar. Um, but yeah, it was all like water-based transport. You, you know, you drag the logs to the ferry dock and you load them on the boat, that sort of a thing. So it was all pretty hands-on, rural. Yeah, like you said, it was it was rough and tumble out in the middle of nowhere, literally. You know, so which is a, that's the it's, time. It is a good place to run a quack sanitarium. For sure, yeah. You you um you read that she started it in Seattle, right? Yes. Um. So what I okay. have is. The main woman we're talking about is Doctor. Oh Lin- yeah, we haven't even we haven't even introduced the the main character. Oh yeah, I went into her medical training. I went deep because I needed to know. So this Doctor Linda Burfield Hazard, uh, who Wikipedia. Which, let me stop you there. Yeah, that's like one of the coolest names you're ever going to hear. Yeah, I mean it's- Linda Hazard. Linda Hazard. It's that's awesome. It's like a cool, like tough name, uh, but also it's a warning sign to her patients. Um, and Wikipedia refers to her as an American quack doctor, which I think is great. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit reductionist, I would say, but it, it'll do. It'll, it'll do. do. Um, she so she didn't have a medical degree, but she studied under Dr. Edward H. Dewey, who was a pioneer of therapeutic fasting. And um, he was an actual doctor. He had a medical degree from the University of Michigan. Um, but his work was kind of controversial because a British medical journal referred to him as uh, not an accurate or careful writer. There were some mistakes in the studies that he published. And um, another physician said that he took the principles of fasting to, quote, an irrational extreme. But that was really common around the late 1800s was the fasting as medicine, Um so she's yeah, not like a lone sure. crazy person. No, no, it was super popular at the time. And like even today, there are people that say that um, caloric restriction is like not the key to longevity, but it's like has a strong correlation with long- longevity and like test animals and stuff. Um, um, it seems to be the, the he- one factor that always lends, you know, leads towards. Uh, longer lifespan, basically. Yeah, the theory with that, I believe, is that by in a extremely low calorie diet, I think actually they say they call it a VLC, a very low calorie diet. You slow down your metabolism, which slows down cell oxidation, and so you don't age as quickly because you've slowed everything down. Um, and then there's fasting that's like um, what do they call it? Intermittent fasting, which is really good for. Uh, increasing your uh, insulin sensitivity and preventing diabetes. And there are benefits to, um, I, I should, let's say, brief fasting and medically supervised fasting. But uh, Linda kind of took that to an extreme. Well, it was medically supervised, though. I mean, 
Although, although, let's get back to her like original route. She was born in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And she started her she started her practice. You know, she started a practice there. It's of dubious claim as to whether or not she ever actually received a medical license. Most people say she never received a medical license. In fact, when she was asked for, I think when she when she applied for her Washington State like medical license or whatever, they asked for her records. And she directed them towards a medical school that had conveniently burnt down. And so all the records were destroyed. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So um, it's, it's, she never, she wasn't a doctor. She claimed to be a doctor, but that was back when you could just claim to be a lawyer. You just show up in town and be like, I'm a lawyer. And they'd be like, okay. <laughs> I, that's, I had a friend who um, was named Space Alien Donald, and he uh, promoted himself as the world's oldest gay Canadian rapper. And this was about 10 years ago that I met Donald. And he was in his 70s at the time. And he had done that. He faked a career as a scientist. He came to the US from Canada. He said he had a degree in science. He worked his whole career in science and he was self-taught. He never went to college for it. And so he would try to give, uh, you know, the young kids in the music scene lectures like drop out of college. You just say that you went to college. You don't actually go to college. And it, we'd have to be like, Donald, you can't do that anymore. Um, that is that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I've heard of that's better than that is there was a guy, he was a public servant in Spain. And just within the past few years, this was in the news, but he was caught after like 20 years of receiving a paycheck for a job he never even went to. Oh. He was just on the book. He was just on the books. They just sent him a check and he like never even went to his job and nobody noticed. That's he was amazing. Just like, yeah, he's my hero. Really? I uh, mean, um, okay, so Dr. Linda Burfield Hazard, which is my new vocal warm-up, just saying that name, <laughs> she published a book called Fasting for the Cure of Disease in 1908, and uh, I have a couple quotes from it. Um, the first one I have is, the sole source of bodily ills is impure blood, and the cause of impure blood is imperfect digestion. Um, and then another one, this is really poetry, is appetite is craving, hunger is desire, craving is never satisfied, but desire is relieved when want is supplied. Um, <laughs> so whatever. Yeah, I couldn't make it. I, I couldn't I couldn't make heads or tails of the when wanted supplied part of that. Yeah. Like when you support when you supply want or when you supply what want wants. I couldn't get it. But I, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's all, it doesn't make sense. All we know is that before the book had even been published, she had already killed at least one patient in her home state of Wisconsin. And the coroner did rule the cause of death starvation. Uh, he tried to have her prosecuted, but her lack of a medical license made it difficult to hold her accountable. Because Right. Yes, that's so beautiful, that loophole. Ah. What? Yeah, because she wasn't practicing medicine. She was just some idiot with some other idiot starving to death, like listening to her. Uh, uh, oh, that's that's so crazy. I don't get it, but yeah, but yeah, good for good, good on her, good on her. And then oh, so so uh, like 
this whole starvation thing, it, it was pretty big. Um, even the author of uh, that muckraking journalist, the author of the, um, what was it called? The Jungle. Oh, Back Upton the, Sinclair. He was into that. Upton Sinclair. He, yeah, he actually wrote a book about the, the wonders of, of fasting uh, three years later in, in 1911, um, three years after What's-Her-Name wrote her book. But right as the, the murders were taking place. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler murders. alert. Yeah, it's weird because the lines between criminality and just like quackery get really blurred here because some of it you think just oh what a naive idiot who thinks she's healing people but then well we'll get into it um there's a lot of intent there's a lot of intent there's a lot of intent so she marries this guy sam hazard he's uh actually convicted of bigamy for marrying her because she's his he's already married um he's also Uh an, an embezzler and a failed military officer um, and they moved to Washington and I think that they ch- probably cherry picked Washington because, uh, in Washington, um, she was allowed to practice medicine because there was a loophole that grandfathered in, uh, practitioners of alternative medicine. So they gave her a medical license there, even though she didn't yes, have a nice. degree. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so they moved and set up shop. There's not a whole lot because they didn't really mess with anyone important until they messed with the um, like the two sisters that oh. are sort of the main the mainstay. But there were, I mean, there were reports besides the one for sure death that um, that you cited. Um, there were reported to be like, I mean, several other deaths before Claire and Dora. There were so and they. Yeah, and so I think she was already working her magic here in Washington for a bit before they showed up. So, um, but they're 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 sort of the stars of this story, just for the listeners. Yes. Yeah. Um. Before we get to them, I have that. So she's in Washington. She's like saying fasting is this cure for all that could possibly ail you, and. People talked a lot about her personality. They said she had a strong, forceful personality. And so she drew a following. um, And she had this dream of running a large, elaborate sanitarium. And to help pursue that dream, she started courting wealthy people, which is we talked about this on Jay-Z Night. If you're going to run a cult, um, uh, a sanitarium, (laughs) court the wealthy, because then you need to convince less people of your bullshit. Um, Absolutely. And so one of her first patients was a wealthy heiress and she died of starvation, leaving behind a three-year-old son. And I, I wish I could remember the name. They said he went on to oh, open. No, no, no. Oh yeah. This is, this is, um, Northwest lore pretty well. It's not Northwest lore. Cause I just found out about it from reading the story, but, um, Ivers, uh, clam soup, like Ivers soup or whatever. It's like a big franchise up here okay. um, in the Northwest. And so this lady, Hagland, um, uh, I can't remember their last name, but Hagland was Ivor's mom, and she was one of the victims of Linda Hazard back in the day. When he was like six years old, she died from her from Linda Hazard's starvation treatments. But he 
went on to found this franchise of soup chains. So all is well. I think, yeah, like you said, she was an heiress. I read that she, um, her family owned basically Alki Point in West Seattle, which if you're not familiar, it doesn't make much, you know, it's whatever, but it's a big chunk of this part of town in Seattle. Um, So if they owned the whole thing, they were, you know, they were pretty well, (laughs) they were pretty well off. They were loaded. They were loaded. Um, yeah, so that was one of her first, like, victims, allegedly, when she came to Seattle. Um, and it was part of this practice that she started pretty soon off the bat, where when people were in starved states of delirium, she would get them to sign over their estates to her. Um, because she would, yeah, that was their whole, that was their whole scheme. Yeah. She, they would have patients fast for, I have days, weeks, months, however long it took to rid them of the, you know, quote unquote toxins causing an imbalance in their bodies. And they would have, um, small amounts of tomato or asparagus juice. And every day they would have, in all caps, I wrote hours long enemas. Just hours long enemas. In fact, they had to, they had to like line the, they did it in a bathtub, like a clawfoot tub, you know, cast iron mm-hmm. bathtub. They had to line it with, um, like canvas, um, because a lot of the, I, I don't know if it was a lot or just Claire. I read it about Claire, um, that she, they had to line it with this canvas tarp so that to prevent injury because it was going on for so long. It was so uncomfortable that people were thrashing about and like injuring themselves on the tub or um, something. So they had to like, yeah, ridiculous. I read that they were fainting too. They're so weak. They couldn't stand up for the enemas and they would just yeah. fall over. Um, they also had regular yeah. massages to, you know, wring uh-huh. out the toxins uh-huh. and the nurses said that they often sounded more like beatings and um, uh-huh. there was a rumor that Dr. Hazard would pummel patients on their backs and on their brows while yelling, eliminate, <laughs> eliminate. <laughs> um, so that's not cool. Um, that's not therapeutic at all. No. Um, just, yeah. Um, shoot. I was just going to say something. But go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so... At least 12 people died in her care, but they think possibly more than 40. Um, it's just that it's very, a lot of it's unsubstantiated. And whenever patients would die, um, Hazard would claim they died of undiagnosed illnesses such as cancer or liver cirrhosis. Like, oh, no, they didn't starve to death. They had this pre-existing condition. Um, it well, was Well, th- here's the thing. She, she insisted on performing the autopsy. So she was the one in charge of determining the cause of death for her own patients. And of course, yeah, like you said, she would always say, oh, it was something that, you know, was before, like with, um, we keep dancing around Claire and Dora, but I'm working my Claire, way up to it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she said, she said that, uh, Claire died from, um, some like, immunizations or something like some some medication she received as a child that weakened her um like endocrine system so badly that um it she sh- couldn't survive starvation or whatever yeah um 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, there's something to be said for division of labor. Like, if you are treating a patient and they die, you someone else should have to do the autopsy. But, I mean, this is like... Yeah, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty clear conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, especially when you're, like, um, in the last days of starvation, these people would be like, oh, I need, you know, help. This isn't working. And she's like, oh, you're almost there. Just a few more days and the toxins will be gone and then you'll start your upswing. And then she'd hand them like, um, basically like a power of attorney papers and like, here, sign me over your fortune, basically, in the meantime, while, while you're getting better. And they would do it. So many of them would do it because she was such a powerful, charismatic, like cult leader type personality. She just like, she was really overbearing. And I imagine she was the type of person (laughs) that you just didn't want to deal with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whatever you say, uh, uh, Linda. Um, So when death started making headlines, she moved her practice from Seattle to her home, which was in Olala. And she called it a sanitarium, but at this point, it was her house. So it's just like her house and some cabins. And this is the creepy part that I think you told me about when you proposed this subject is that um, skeletal patients were seen like they would wander down the hill into town begging for help. And then children would see starving people wandering through the woods, but they didn't help because they were afraid of Dr. Hazard, which is just like a horrific sight is like these poor, whore, like starved patients trying to get help wandering through the woods. Yeah. And I heard, I read one thing that said the local kids would laugh at them because they fell down when they tried to walk. Oh no. <laughs> that's terrible that's so terrible that's so much worse than what i was picturing it's like the nelson from simpsons oh my god because i was thinking like it would be traumatic to me when you see people like uh, who've been like starved to an extreme like that's a scary sight and if i was just like out in the woods playing and i saw that it would scare the fuck out of me um, oh for sure for sure and there was another i saw a um a youtube video of a local news like the local channel five news um it was an interview with the author of this book about starvation heights his name is greg olson it's greg with two g's olson with an E, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Anyway, he was he was on the air. This was back when the book came out, I guess, or maybe even before that. But um, yeah, I think that sounds about right. Like '98, I think, is when the book came out. Anyway, whatever. Um, he was on there, and that uh, there was an interview with this old woman who was like, basic. She was probably at that time she was like 80, 90 years old, so she was born around 1900 or so. And she lived in Olala, and she remembered that at that time, she would she would remember seeing the patients from the uh, from Starvation Heights wandering around the woods and picking huckleberries. And just any time, you know, during berry season, you could always count on these these scraggly uh, skeletons of people who oh just like God. creeping, creeping, creeping around, just picking any kind of nourishment that they could from the bushes nearby. You know, oh my god, that's scary. So fucking scary. Um, creepy. Jesus fucking Christ. 
Are we ready to get into the two sisters that broke this fucking case wide open? Let's do it. They're heroes. I mean, <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> they're, not, they're not heroes. They're not heroes, but they're what finally, like, I don't know, got this. Lead. They were. They were well. They were well. Um, I don't know. They were well off enough. They were well healed enough. They had enough family that loved them that they were act- they, they were actually missed or that you know somebody actually listened to them or some I don't know I don't yeah. know what it was but they, they were the ones that actually like you said broke it open um all right so we have British heiresses Claire and Dorothea Williamson um and they're hanging out in Britain they're fans of alternative medicine they read Dr. Hazard's book and they're so into it um, it's reported they were, they were vacation. They were vacationing in um, Victoria, British Columbia, so oh. not too far away, just at the top of the Puget Sound. They were hanging out on one of their like world tours because they were wealthy, you know, heiresses. They didn't have to work or anything, so they just basically spent their time traveling around. And they seem like kind of the hippie types to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like into this alternative medicine and whatnot, and uh, they were. Hanging out, vacationing in Victoria, British Columbia, they they saw an ad. One of them saw an ad for um, for Linda Hazard's book, that book that you mentioned earlier about fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they saw an ad for that in the local paper, and I guess went and bought the book. Decided, oh, we have to, we have to do this. This sounds great. You know, they were just on board for whatever new thing happened to come by. Um, and um, and they're relatively the healthy, they, right? They're relatively healthy. At the time, they had no major physical complaints. I think um, there was one of the sisters said, oh, I got, you know, like a little bit of rheumatism. Um, I think Claire, I think I read that someone told her that her uterus had dropped. Yeah. Which makes me think these broads were DTF. At least Claire was. Yeah, um, because um, I looked up what a, I looked up what uterine a dropped uterus was, and they said possibly uterine prolapse. Um, yeah, yeah, she was getting real, baby. <laughs> I think she was DTF. Because <laughs> how else are you going to find that out? Like somebody had to tell her, right? And it was like, in my thinking, it's like, yeah, baby, I just. Broke the bottom out. You got a dropped uterus now. Well, apparently you so. can feel when you have a prolapsed uterus because your uh, the muscles of the pelvic uh, what do they call it? Like the pelvic carriage or whatever. They aren't holding the uterus in place, and it drops down. And then if your cervix is blown out, that's when the uterine it basically turns inside out. Like it, the uterus will drop through the cervix into the vagina, and then it feels like you have something in your vagina um i i know my mom my mom's boyfriend i'm sorry (laughs) my my mom's boyfriend was a nurse at a nursing home and he would always tell me um stories about how some of the older ladies who had prolapsed uteruses like they were too old (sighs) to have surgery to fix it and so like if they took a shit or whatever their uterus would flip out and he would have to Uh, shove it back in oh god (laughs) my grandma had that happen she had to go in for surgery for surgery when she was like, you know, like in her seventies or something. I was like, why is grandma going in for surgery? 
And my aunt was like, oh, it's lady problems or whatever. And it was like, oh, okay, something, it's lady problems. That's enough. Yeah, they got to <laughs> stitch it back in or whatever. They got to get that vaginal just, mesh. Uh, the trans, the tr- that much dreaded transvaginal mesh that's the source of so many uh, lawsuits these days, apparently. But Claire, Claire was only 33 when she died. Um, so what's up with the, the pelvis, the, the, the dropped uterus in a, a woman of 30? I don't know. Like, how does that happen? Especially cause I didn't find any mention of her having children. Um, cause usually it's I think like, she was, get, she was getting the bottom pounded out on the regs. That's probably true. And it's, we don't have to worry about a lawsuit on this one because all parties involved are dead. Um, <laughs> So yeah, they were relatively healthy. They were relatively healthy. They decided, oh, this is this seems like a fancy spree or whatever. So they, um, what? Maybe you take over. They they find their way to Seattle. Yeah, or they they didn't tell they, they, the, re- they didn't tell their family yeah. where they were going because their family disapproved right. of their health quests. So they're like, we're not going to tell anyone where we're going. And they're so excited to see open fields and grazing horses and eat broths made from fresh vegetables. This is is when they still thought that they were going to the sanitarium in Olala. But what they didn't realize is that that sanitarium wasn't open yet. So they ended up in an apartment on Capitol Hill in Seattle, which is basically just the downtown neighborhood or whatever. So <laughs> they show up when they have it like, yes, yes, this is all very good. Um, and set them up in this apartment and uh, they start getting these twice daily, basically just an eight ounce bowl of, um, it wasn't even fresh vegetables. It was she, was canned. Just the, she was skimming the liquid off of canned tomatoes and feeding them each like eight ounces of that twice a day. Yep, which is like that's. Can you imagine? You're like, oh, I'm gonna get these fresh local veggie soups, and then it's just the liquid out of canned tomatoes, and you're in a shitty apartment in Seattle. Um, so there's warning signs, but they stayed. They did, and they were paying a lot of money. I mean, they didn't. They didn't ever say how much, um, like this treatment cost or whatever. But you know. I assume it was it was substantial. Yeah, I would think I so. Um, you're, you you got to pay for the rent of the apartment, the nurses to give the animas. Um, you're not spending. <laughs> there's not a lot of overhead when it comes to food in this situation, but like, there's still there's overhead, and these people wanted to make really big profits um, to open their sanitarium. So I assume that this was an expensive. Thing and it went on forever because the the sisters were in the apartment in Capitol Hill for two months, and later they were transferred to the uh, Hazards home in Olala. And at this point, at the time they were transferred, it was speculated that they weighed seventy pounds each, and I think that was based on descriptions of people who saw them leaving the apartment. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, seventy pounds is very. That's like a large. That's a large dog. Yeah, that's a 
It's, uh, I have a 10 year old and she's about 80 pounds and she's like four foot six. <laughs> yeah. So it's less than a 10 year old. Um, yeah. Not great. Not a, not a great weight for an adult. Um, and so after they were transferred to Olala, um, it's thought that it was Dorothea who sent a mysterious telegram to their childhood nurse, Margaret Conway. And the telegram didn't make any sense, but Margaret was alarmed enough um, for her to board a boat from Australia to Washington State to be like, what's going on with these little girls? Um, it's good they're still in yeah. touch with their childhood nurse. That Yeah. Yeah, that was her, like, their nanny growing up, I guess, or whatever. And, yeah, she was visiting family in Australia. And uh, Claire managed to, like, crawl out. There was a couple of reports of um, neighbors in Olala seeing Claire, like, crawling out of the place um, on a couple of occasions. And on one of the one of those occasions, I guess she was able to get a letter out or, like, a note out to, like, some local resident. Um, and they, I guess, forwarded forwarded it along because <clears throat> they weren't allowed to send any. They weren't allowed to receive or send any mail from the sanitarium. So she had to like, she had to like scrounge her way to get that that note off. And she was so starved and like delirious that that's why that note didn't make any sense. But um, she at least knew where to send it. And um, it just so happened that her her beloved nanny from growing up was. A mere six thousand miles away, and there and, must have uh, been some family issues because they still didn't want to tell their parents what was happening. And you said they were in their thirties. Yeah, Claire was. In her, Claire was thirty three when she died. So I don't know if Dora was uh, older or younger. She looks older. She looks. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say Dora. I saw a photo of them before the whole experience when they were still healthy mm -hmm. and even then even then dora was pretty gaunt she had sort of a she looked like a female harry dean stanton <laughs> i may never recover from that <laughs> that was a full eddie murphy laugh uh on that one <laughs> So yeah, but um so they were they were young, but I think the thing was their family was well, okay, we're about to get to the part where they have an uncle that's local. Mm -hmm. So not all of their family were far away, but I mean the majority of their family were probably in Britain or whatever. So Australia is actually closer than Britain at that point. I mean, I was you know thinking, I mean? yeah, but I was thinking maybe it was the nurse because they still like their family didn't approve of this and they didn't like tell their family where they were going and so did they still not want their family to find out um so they confided yeah, in the nurse yeah i think i think you're right i think they went with their 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 you know the, their biggest confidant or whatever yeah so let's let's start with that so she she arrives um from what i was able to i mean they say she she arrived in seattle but i had read another thing where she um Arrived in Vancouver, uh -huh. and and then was escorted by, I believe it was Mister Hazard, correct? Yes. Um, she she was escorted by Mister Hazard from wherever 
port of call she <laughs> she she arrived at and so she was escorted by him down to where they were so i had to take it over from there Sydney. <laughs> um, okay, so on the bus ride from, because apparently it was a bus they took from Vancouver um, to Washington, uh, Samuel Hazard tells Margaret the nurse that Claire has already died. And this is when he claims a drug administered to her during childhood shrunk her internal organs and caused liver cirrhosis. And that she was just too far gone for us to save her. Um, and here's a quote from Dr. Hazard's first uh, book. Um, Death in the fast never results from deprivation of food, uh, but is the inevitable consequence of vitality sapped to the last degree by organic imperfection. So like if you die from starvation, it's your fault. It's not that you didn't get food. It's that like you were fucked up. Um, yeah, you're you're a weakling, idiot. What are you doing? You can't you can't survive forty days on broth. Yeah, yeah. What's you're, wrong? With you? What's wrong with you? You're a fucking mess. Um, and so Claire's body was embalmed and on display in Seattle. I assume that means it was at a funeral parlor on display. Um, oh yes. This gets juicy. This gets juicy. Do you know about the funeral parlor connection? I do. So Margaret's oh, okay. looking <laughs> at this body and she's like, it's just like wrong. The face structure, the hair color's wrong. And I'm reading this thinking, well, like starvation will change you. Um, but do you want to tell us? Well, apparently the hazards were in cahoots with a uh, mortuary in Seattle. And the mortuary apparently agreed to swap out the body of Claire with um, a, another recently deceased female with similar body type or whatever, but that weighed way more so that the, the pronounced starvation effects wouldn't be obvious when the, uh, you know, the next of kin came to view the corpse or whatever. Yeah. So they apparently swapped her out with some unknown girl or whatever. And that's of course why, um, to old nanny Margaret, you know, Claire didn't look like she used to. Yeah. And it says that those rumors were never proven, but I, I choose to believe it. I think they're doing some body swap because they're shady fuckers. Um, totally. So they go to the sanitarium to see, uh, Dora and she only weighs 60 pounds and she still doesn't want to leave um, because right, she, right. That's the fucked up part. She's been indoctrinated. She's, you know, they've manipulated her and she's like, I'm so close to health. And also, this is another thing. They kept the two sisters apart the whole time. So they weren't even allowed to communicate. It's not like they were sipping broth together. They were in separate. They were in separate ends of the sanitarium, and they weren't allowed to mingle. So I don't even know that. I don't even know if Dora, did Dora even know when Claire Claire died. I don't know. Yeah, but it's all fricked up. But yeah, they're definitely this is classic cult behavior. Um, they separate. You know, they isolate them from their loved ones. They often, you know, starve them. Obviously. There's the only thing missing is like sexual stuff, which I would have expected based on 
um, Samuel Hazard's uh, bigamy, you know, Mm -hmm. career or whatever. I was thinking maybe there was some, I I thought I read there was some, a little bit of hanky-panky going on. Really? Uh, I didn't read that, but... Yeah, I mean, it was alluded to in one thing I read, but I can't, I don't have it pulled up and I can't pinpoint it exactly like enough to cite it reference-wise or whatever, but I feel like there was a little hanky-panky going on in the sanitarium. I feel like at a certain point, these people are starved um, to such a point where like you can't have sex with them. They're just too fragile. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I may have made it up. Maybe that was wishful thinking. (laughs) Because it'd be so hot. Um, yeah, we talk a lot on the show about how, uh, you know, cults and people who want to manipulate you deprive you of food because you can't think straight when you are hungry and then long term nutritional deprivation, you aren't able to make neurotransmitters and you just you're not going to be able to uh, function cognitively. Um, so always and make sure you. That's when you sign over your estate to the your your local health practitioners. Yes. Um, and that's what Margaret discovered when she was there is that Dr. Hazard had been appointed the exec- executor of Claire's estate. Uh, she'd also been appointed Dora's guardian for life. And um, Dora had assigned power of attorney to Dr. Samuel or I'm sorry, to Samuel Hazard. Um and then in just a total like creep factor, uh, allegedly Dr. Hazard delivered a report about Dora's health to Margaret while wearing one of uh, the dead Claire's robes, um, which is for sure ghoulish. And they had also they had also, uh, you know, absconded with or, you know, whatever, taken all of her jewelry. They even pulled the fillings out of Claire's teeth, the gold oh. fillings out of Claire's teeth, and sold them to a local jeweler. They were all in for just profiting anywhere they could off of <laughs> off of anyone that they could. That's where you lose your credibility. Like, there's a lot... I mean, they lost their credibility a lot of places, but you, you can claim you're not a criminal, and you can claim, oh, well, we had them give us power of attorney because their family wasn't around, and we needed, you know, to have a legal recourse to look after them. But the minute you're taking pliers and ripping out someone's teeth, there is no defense to say that you are not a fucking criminal. Um, that's, yeah. Like, what Like what was the I therapeutic agree. reason for taking out her gold teeth? There was none. <laughs> You're a grave uh, robber. We must use all parts of the buffalo. That, <laughs> I, that is honestly what they were doing with these poor people, because they were sucking them dry not only sucking them dry by selling them like a bogus medical treatment not just taking like their money after they died but also then yeah taking all their jewelry their valuables their gold teeth like they were using they were treating these people like a buffalo and they were using them for all parts um uh so margaret didn't feel she had the power to make dorothea leave um there's like a bunch of shit about how like oh she saw herself as a poor humble servant and you know couldn't make anyone do anything um but they had uh the girls had an uncle john herbert who was in portland 
And Margaret got in touch with him and said, like, come get your fucking niece because she's a mess. Um, <laughs> and so he came down and he ended up having to pay Dr. Hazard a thousand dollars to let Dorothy leave, which is crazy. Yeah, well, they tried to, um, like, work with the local authorities or whatever. Um, but the, I don't know, I guess, like, the... Here's one brilliant move that they made by moving from Seattle to Olala mm-hmm. is they moved from a very wealthy um, income base or whatever, like town, wealthy city, to this backwoods nowhere town that had no, like, government funding or whatever. So when the time came to, like, sue them, mm-hmm. there was the county the county had no money for the legal funds that were required to sue the hazard. So, like, the the whole legal um, things that um, proceedings against them uh, were postponed because they had no money to fund it. It was brilliant on their part. Yeah. I, I say. Well, I mean, that's where, like, the most fucked up backwoods shit happens in places where they just don't have the money or manpower to, you know, rule on things. Exactly. Um, but at exactly. this at this point, because um, the British government was putting pressure on the county to prosecute, and they're like, we don't have any money. And at this point, I guess Dora was feeling better because she offered to front the bill. Um, and she's like, I'll, I have money. I'll pay for you to prosecute this fucking bitch. Um, and so the trial revealed that when they couldn't coerce starving patients to sign over assets, they would just forge the documents. So, like, they were going to get your shit whether you gave it to them or not. Um, and, and Dr. Hazard was only convicted of manslaughter, which is like really light for, I just feel like there's so many other crimes happening just to have only a conviction for manslaughter is kind of ridiculous. Um, it's kidnapping. It's, it's like extortion. It's, it's all the, you know, thievery. Yeah. All the theory you can think of. I mean, yeah, what else do you have to do? But yeah, she was, so she was sentenced to anywhere from, it was one of those flightable sentences. They love to do that here in Washington. Oh. Anywhere from, yeah, they give you a range. So <laughs> she was sentenced to from two to 20 years of hard labor at Walla Walla. And she was the only female inmate at Walla Walla. Yeah. Now who's getting the bottom (laughs) knocked out? (laughs) She looks, she seems pretty dikey to me. I don't know. You've seen photos, right? Yeah, I saw some photos. Um, She seems pretty butch. She's a tough lady. So maybe she she was giving the guys hard time, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Maybe she's doing some pegging. Yeah. And she was probably charging them. She was probably like charging them cigarettes for the honor. Oh, dude, I bet. I bet she was hustling in prison. I've been watching this show called uh, Love After Lockup. And the most fascinating part about it is the women explaining how they, you know, got all these guys on the outside to give them money and put money on their books because then they would use the money on their books to buy stuff at commissary, which they would then trade for drugs. 
Um, or in one case, she said she would trade her food from commissary for shrimp, like from the guys in the kitchen so she could eat good food. But this chick says, shrimp. She, yeah, I don't know. This chick says she got men to give her over $800,000 during her 10 years in prison. And I'm impressed because I'm not making that much money and I'm on the outside. So yeah, that's good game. Work it sister. Yeah. She didn't even have to fuck anyone because she was in prison. So like (laughs) it's, I'm fascinated. So uh, being that this bitch is like such a grifter, I would expect that while she was doing her hard time, there's no way she could keep her hands clean. You know, she wasn't just shoveling. Um, but sh- she was and pardoned the, uh, after two years. Unexplicably, inexplicably, she was pardoned after two years. Um, who knows why? But whatever. I mean, the part the the sentence was anywhere from two to twenty years. So they they let her go, and they gave her the stipulation that you may not practice medicine mm-hmm. in Washington for forever again in Washington State. No more practicing medicine in Washington State. That's that's a um, what do they call that foreshadowing? Yes. Because, so, her medical license is not reinstated. She's not allowed to practice medicine. So, uh, the Hazards moved to New Zealand, um, where Dr. Hazard claims to be licensed by the Washington State Medical Board, and <laughs> she practiced as a dietitian and an osteopath. And apparently, she killed some more people while she was there. I couldn't find a body count. Um, yeah, neither could I. But she's found out. She's fined for practicing without a license. And at the time, it was like five pounds, which uh, yeah. according it's to like Wikipedia. Yeah, according to five Wikipedia, pounds. it's the equivalent of uh, like $456 in 2014 money. Um, but she was, she was over there for like. How long was she over there? Like years and years, right? Um, yeah, she was over there for um let's see, she got out of prison in twenty fifteen and I think she was there until twenty twenty. So she's there for five years practicing medicine without a license and killing people. Um but she, <laughs> and so they find her, that's you know, the, five I mean, five hundred bucks and so she's still that's rich. A poultry. Yeah, that's such a paltry fine to be like, oh, well, I'm going to pack up and move back. Or, ooh, ooh, sorry. But yeah, that's such a paltry fine. Yeah. But whatever. It, it, she must have had other reasons. I, I want to know what the story was in the new, from the New Zealand perspective. Like, there's got to be a similar story like this, a um, Starvation Heights story, but like based out of New Zealand. I want to hear that story. Oh, yeah, because I guarantee there were starved people wandering down mountains, you know, in New Zealand. <laughs> Same deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she got rich while she was over there. She paid her tiny fine and then she returned to Olala. Why? Who the fuck knows? You sometimes a the- dog always a dog always returns to their vomit. That's what they say, right? <laughs> I fucking love that. Um, and so now she has the money. She built her grand sanitarium, but strangely, uh, not as many patients, uh, signed up as she expected. Um, 
possible that like all the bad press uh affected people wanting to come to her beautiful grand sanitarium after she fucking killed people there um because it was a hundred bed sanitarium and she and it's the same community where she killed a bunch of people now granted it wasn't community members that she was killing so there weren't like hatfield mccoy type hard feelings about her Mm -hmm. in that community but I mean, it was mostly, you know, rich people, outsiders that would come fly and boat in or whatever, travel in to, to, you know, be killed by her. But even still, she had that reputation. Why she would go back to the one community she was like already ostracized from is beyond me. I think she's just super focused. She had a vision. And, you know, a lot of really (sighs) successful people, it's because they have a singular laser focused vision and they will stop at nothing to achieve it. So, um, Dr. I I think it was hubris. Yeah. It was hubris. All right. Well, hubris, grit, uh, perseverance, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it uh this new fancy sanitarium uh it burnt down. Why I didn't write down the year it burnt down in, I don't know. Uh I want to say I want to say it was the thir- 30s or something cuz she was there for like 20 years. Yeah, I think, I think it in burnt the- down in 1935 um and at that yeah, time that less right. than 12 of the 100 oh. beds were occupied. So not very <laughs> popular. Yeah. Um, the sanitarium had an incinerator, which was rumored that she burnt bodies in it or threw them in a ravine. Cause now she's just like this evil villain of folklore where she's throwing bodies in a ravine. Right. Well, actually, yeah, there were a lot of people and still today people go there and search for bodies. Um, cause the property is well known. Like I can, like I said, I could ride my bike there tonight, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, they, yeah, they say that she disposed of them in the incinerator. And then also there was a, it's a 70 foot ravine oh. off the back side of, of the property. So, I mean, I don't know what was, how do you get to the bottom of the ravine, but I'm sure bears know how to get there. And there's lots of bears, or at that time there were lots of bears around that area so i'm sure anybody thrown down that 70 foot ravine probably didn't last very long so it's so sinister to build your evil sanitarium backing up to a huge ravine um it it brings to mind like the like uh dracula's castle mm -hmm. like just perched up on these insane pillars in the middle of these you know crazy mountains and you know nothing around yeah i also like if it's a sanitarium which is more or less like a health retreat or it should be a health retreat there's no need to have an incinerator like hospitals have incinerators because when they remove things from bodies they have to incinerate them because it's dangerous to have like to throw rotting body parts in dumpsters and shit but like if it's a health spa where you go to like drink juice and get enemas, there's no. What are you putting in an incinerator? Oh, well, that's the uh, an incinerator is meant to just like burn stuff off. I think you're uh, at hospitals. They have um, oh geez, what's it called? It's a, another use for the same instrument on a smaller scale is to sterilize instruments. 
Oh, no. No, I'm talking but about have, like when you have your appendix removed and they throw it. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they they put it in one. They put it in one of the. I work at a hospital. They have one of those. It's like you could drive a feed up. You could drive a smart car into it. Okay. And they 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 push this cart full of biohazard red biohazard bags in there, um, and uh, they're full of like body parts. Yeah, <laughs> the same like, kind of stuff you're talking about. Yeah, like I had my fallopian tubes removed, and they were incinerated. So. They got. Uh, I think they get autoclaves. That's the word I'm looking autoclave? for. Autoclave. It's a giant, an autoclave. It sterilizes things before they get disposed of in a manual manner. But it, it's meant to sterilize them beforehand. And because we, uh, you can't just go burning stuff today. Maybe they could back then. Well, sure I don't know because, then. like, don't some apartment buildings have incinerators in them? I don't think they do these days. I think that's a horrible um, emission, a CO2 emission, and possibly other awful things like plastics. People would burn awful things in there. All right. I need (laughs) you to find out what they do with the body parts they're throwing away at the hospital because otherwise I'm going to have to call my mom and she's a nurse and be like, Deborah, what do they do with the things that they throw away. They, they don't. Yeah, they get put, they get disposed of in a landfill. I don't think they get incinerated. I don't I'll know. I'll find out. Okay. I'll find out. Find out. Just be like, my friend Sydney wants to know where her fallopian tubes went. Because um, I was under the impression they were burnt. Okay. That could be. I yeah. mean, it could be. But I I've been through this once before. Duncan Trussell lost a testicle to cancer uh-huh. a few years ago. And uh, back before he blocked me on Twitter, um, I he was he put out a thing, or he was wondering where his testicle went. And I, with my hospital knowledge, said, oh, it probably went into this thing and then into that thing. And I took a picture of the autoclave, and then I took a picture of the dumpster. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But I think I looked into it after that, and um, I think they put mostly just like the bloody rags, maybe in the in the trash. But they have to dispose of the actual body parts in a different way. Maybe they do incinerate them. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I think maybe you've just you've just jogged the memory. Sydney. Yeah, I just I feel like as I mean I've had a lot of surgeries in my life, and my, I grew up with my mom as a nurse. So I feel like it's a conversation I've had a lot Um, because, you know, when you're little, they used to used to get to take your tonsils home when you would have your tonsils removed and you. Oh, yeah. And then when I had my tonsils removed, I was like, do I get to keep them? And they said, no, we I think they told me they incinerate them. And so, you know, I I just want to know where all my parts are that have been thrown away. They're getting super stingy with the body parts these days, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll let you keep a kidney stone, but they won't let you keep, like, a tumor. I think maybe, like, because the stone is hard, it's not a biohazard, but the tumors are, if they're all gushy. I'll tell you what, if I had a teratoma, <laughs> I would want to at least see it. You know what I'm saying? Are you familiar with teratomas? Oh, yeah. oh is that the one where they have hair and teeth? Yes. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I had a coworker that had one. She no. had to um, go, go into surgery to have one removed. And she was childless at the time. I asked her if she was going to have like a, or, uh, what do they call that? Like a, when you throw a party for the. Oh, yeah. A like baby, a, a baby, baby shower. shower? A baby shower, yeah. <laughs> Did she? No, I asked her if she would, and she would just, of course, was like, that's ridiculous. No. Well, I mean, she's really missing out because I seriously thought about having a party when I had my tubes tied because it's like I'm never going to have a Mother's Day. I'm never going to get Mother's Day gifts and I'm never going to make any of my friends go to like a baby shower or anything. So if you guys want to hang out and eat cake and instead of giving me presents, give me some small donations towards my $2,000 copay, that would be great. Um, I didn't do that, (laughs) but I thought about it. Are we still recording? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Are you going to leave this in? Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, you've listened to the show. We haven't even uh, wrapped up this show. Um, No, we have not wrapped up the show. Because Linda, I don't want to call her doctor anymore. She's not really a doctor. She's never a doctor. She was never a doctor. Yeah. Um, she died in 1938. She was fasting to cure herself of some sort of ailment. So that's fitting. Um, it just would be great if that happened sooner and before she killed so many people. So she did manage to, in that, in that final fast of hers, Mm -hmm. um, she managed to last like a long time. Like she managed to go like, do you have a account? I want to say it was 40 days. It was 40 days. Um, but, it was 40 days. But like some of her patients went like three months. They were being given broths and stuff. It wasn't a total fast. But um, yeah, they also I think they were given other stuff other than broth at other times on intervals. So it wasn't just like if you were there for a year you were getting nothing but broth. I think you were given some other food as well. It was mostly, I read this guy's uh, food diary on Wikipedia, who was one of her patients. And it was like, it started out with like mashed soup. So everything was just mashed to a pulp. And then it was strained soup. So it was none of the fiber. And then he would get oranges sometimes. And sometimes it'd be like an orange for breakfast, broth for lunch, broth for dinner. And then the next day it would be like an orange for breakfast, an orange for lunch, an orange for dinner. And then it would be like no breakfast. And then broth for lunch, solid soup for dinner. They mixed it up and it was like reading one of my food diaries from when my eating disorder was very bad. Um, And I was just like, yeah, I see you. I see you, dude. I also followed that diet. Um, And my hair started falling out. Uh, So, so yeah, they didn't mix it up. It was in no way nutritionally sound. There were no like sources of proteins in there. just the soups and the, and I think oranges were the only fruit. Um, so not great. Um, also the family uh, that bought her house, the first house she had, not the sanitarium, they weren't told what happened there. And, uh, apparently right. they would bathe in the bathtub that had been used for all the fucking bathtub autopsies, which is that's, that's a name for a metal band bathtub autopsy. <laughs> Yeah, I saw an interview with the guy, the homeowner um, of that house, and he claimed there was some erroneous 
claims of, um, they even brought out, brought out a psychic investigator. This was also on that same um, local news show. Ah. They brought out this uh, psychic investigator guy and the owner of the house. And um, the owner of the house was claiming that there were like ghost sightings that were a child. They were child children ghosts. And there were more than one. But the thing is, um, and, the, you know, of course, the psychic investigator was, was like, yeah, 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 that's exactly what we saw. Children ghosts. Children uh-huh. ghosts. But there, was, there were no children. I don't think there were any children that died at that place, though. It, I didn't read of any children dying there. It seemed like she only treated adults with uh, bank accounts and whose parents yeah, so- didn't love them. So that was just a bunch of horse shit they threw on the news back back in the 90s, I guess. Maybe they Whatever. looked like children because they were so emaciated. Could be. Could be. And they're basing it all on, a lot of it was based on the, the sound of the voices as well. There was some, like, tape recordings. They, they actually, like, recorded whatever they found. And they, like... They played the recordings of the sounds on the show, and then they captioned it with the words that they thought that it meant. And some of it was like, um, dig us up. Ooh. Dig us up. Ooh. Yeah, dig us up. Yeah, yeah. And we were here, or something like that. It might not have been that. But it was like, you know, super creepy. But it was also, if you just took away the captions and didn't let them tell you what to think, you know, it just sounded like sounds. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts, but I am very scared by ghost stories. I don't care for them. Um, no, it's, cre- it's super creepy. Yeah. Because you don't know. You don't know. You just don't know. Um, well, I guess I think we, I think well, we covered no, everything. No? no, we're not, we're not quite done yet. What? Um, the, no, well, uh, the, the, the house, you know, Starvation Heights or whatever, it's burned down. There was a, 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 apparently, as far as a few years ago, there was still like a seven foot, you know, column or something left standing, but it's completely demolished now. Um, there, I did find, because I Googled Claire Williamson, mm-hmm. and uh, her grave is like three miles from where I am right now. No. She's, she, she's buried like in Tacoma. Like no. In a, like near, nearby Tacoma. Yeah. So I saw a photo of the grave. And I know exactly which cemetery she's in. Like, that's the same cemetery I used to, when my daughter was, like, newborn, not newborn, but, like, a year old, I would, like, take her for walks um, in her stroller through this same cemetery. It has all these cool old gravestones and stuff from, like, Civil War era and whatnot. Oh, wow. So, so that's a new, that's a new fun project is to find, um, find her grave and possibly because she was the hotter she was the hotter of the two (laughs) sisters Uh maybe i'll maybe i'll come tribute it (gasps) you could come tribute her grave um i could come i could come tribute claire williamson is that her name williamson yeah uh uh-huh yeah i'm gonna (laughs) well let's get a um some donations from the listeners 
go ahead and hashtag fan favorite, hashtag come tribute with your donation to, <laughs> to yeah. see it. Uh, just contact me uh, for my Venmo or PayPal information, and then I'll set you up so you can just put hashtag come tribute in the notes, and then um, I will I will pay Rob to come tribute uh, Claire Williamson's grave because you're like our real man on the street reporter. You're willing to go to a cult weekend introductory class. You're willing to come tribute a woman's grave who starved to hey. death. I do it for the people. You the do. listeners are everything. That's why I'm hashtag fan favorite. That's true. That is true. Um, wow. <laughs> Next level. All right, Sydney. This was a banner episode. I want to say this is going to go down. This is going to go down in the annals. It will in the in the annals of uh, podcast history. Um, this is just going to be there. It's going to be there. Um, just, just sitting there. Well, happy hump day, everyone. <laughs> happy hump day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>